Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to the Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. The Six Nations is over and we are here for the big inquest. And for the first time in what I think is probably two and a bit years, we are podding in person and it feels great. Um, let's get the ambiguity out of it. You guys are allowed to drink during the podcast recording as long as you're on campus, but not allowed to go to clubs whilst recording the podcast. Is that all right? Is that guidance or is that protocol? Well, I think we're going to get into this. For me, as a senior leadership group, <laughs> I think we've got to agree the protocol ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah we've, we've got to agree to it together. I think, I think a two-beer maximum, no, two-beer minimum while we're recording the podcast. What do you think about that? And is why not a pub, a bar, or a nightclub? What's what's allowed? Back in hmm. the heyday of like Friday night, why not, like 2005, it was definitely a nightclub. I, I mean, can't say I mean, I've been there for like over a decade. There's nothing about that place that resembles a pub. <laughs> <laughs> if that was your local, you'd have serious issues. God, I don't think anyone's propping up the bar. There's no like old boys at the end of the bar. <laughs> why not? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are diving straight into obviously the big talking point of certainly the last week. Was it a night out or was it not? And we will be talking about that loads but thank you very much for joining us and throughout the Six Nations, showing us your support by listening to the pod, um, by following us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod, on Instagram, Thistle underscore rugby underscore pod. And for contributing to a record run for the newsletter on Substack, that's Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast and drops into your inbox 
every Monday morning. So get yourself onto Substack and subscribe to that. Um, we've already joked a little bit about it. We're going to start by talking about the off-field issues. We're then going to look a little bit onto the pitch, what went wrong, and then look forward to the summer tour and beyond and ask that question, where does Scotland go from here? But Alan, if I can if I can come to you first, let's let's talk about the off-field issues um as as we look at them and, and the sort of the impact that, that they've had. I mean how let's start with an open ended question. How much of an issue do you think the Saturday before the Ireland game was? Um I you obviously don't really know. I, I think generally, probably in terms of preparation, not actually massive in terms of from more like a functional standpoint. Um but I think ultimately when it got out, it was always going to impact that build-up. And, and certainly the manner in which it got out, which was lots of leaks and whispers, then sort of confirmed the night before with a very terse statement from the SRU. Exactly. I think on that Thursday, there was sort of whisperings started to come out and start getting shared into either WhatsApps or into our DMs. And then on that Friday, it seemed from... A few, I imagine a few journalists were just looking to like, I need like the smoking gun to be able to like publish this. And it sounds like the BBC got it from the SRU <laughs> in the from, end. From Mark Dodson. Yeah. <laughs> Mark Dodson was, he follows Why Not on Facebook. So he was probably looking at the photo album from the Saturday night. He is the admin. He's the admin for Why Not. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, do you agree about that? I mean, I think in terms of sort of disruption and how much... I suppose it's an unanswerable question, but how much sort of impact do you think that might have had on the the, sort of the eventual result versus Ireland? I, I don't think it would have changed the result. I think that Saturday proved that Ireland are still streets ahead. Um, but but I do wonder if 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 Finn was dropped for Kinghorn, for instance, like putting in Kinghorn on his international debut at ten against you know one of the top three teams in the world probably is far from ideal preparation. And then I think from what we're hearing that maybe when it, the news was released that the players had been out on the Sunday to the rest of the Scotland camp, that it caused a few ruptures. And if that's the case, then it can't, it, to my mind, even if Hogg, Finn, all those guys, you know, giving groveling apologies, that is bound to impact the preparation in in some way, surely, it, to my mind. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. It's I guess it's probably a key question that's still not been sort of fully established. Was whether I think the assumption was that Finn was dropped because of what happened that night, but yeah. actually, it's never been fully confirmed well, yeah. whether he did or not. And obviously, clearly, they are fans of Blair Kinghorn. They couldn't test him out against Italy. I guess there is still a question mark around whether that was made for a tactical reason. I don't think so, and I think sorry the 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 Italy omission or the so the they know the island so sorry, the island, the island one. yeah yeah yeah. Um, it seems strange though to your point. Like it, you could understand bringing Kinghorn in against Italy, and there's obviously other reasons for why that didn't happen. But given his level of experience of playing ten. If it was a tactical decision, that seems 
like a pretty terrible one. <laughs> no, nothing from Saturday in the way that he played would suggest that there was some sort of tactical plan. I don't yeah. think you know that he would bring a different performance to Finn. Sorry. Agreed, hundred percent. And it seems that the SOU just sort of let it run away from them almost. And the story now being sort of exacerbated by the interventions from Rob Baxter. Now that Hogg's gone back to Exeter and the sort of ambiguity, the story's now into its second week, and question marks are still being asked, and it's allowing that sort of sore to you know, rot a little bit more, the questions about what Tooney should have done, what Hoggy shouldn't have done, they they continue. And the, the sort of the black cloud that we're going to talk about, you know, that sort of overshadowing shadowing the whole tournament is allowed to sort of go on. There's no line being drawn under it. Yeah, it's a difficult one as well, because ultimately they want a situation where everything's kept in-house and people don't speculate. And ultimately, that just doesn't, that's not going to happen. Unfortunately, we live in the real world. Yeah, exactly. I, I, social media exists and... You know, why not? It's got a capacity of what, like 700 people? Yeah. And people take Snapchat videos. People take Snapchat of videos of <laughs> Scotland, international yes. Scotland players. <laughs> yeah. And why not? And Scotland is a tiny place and Scottish rugby is even smaller. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, if you're not going to be transparent, then ultimately I think you've got to accept that there's always going to be a level of speculation from yep. both kind of media and fans. And that's ultimately what's happened. That is, that is ultimately <laughs> w- what has happened. I mean, I think... Biggest questions, and we'll come into what, you know, where does it leave us now, but the big questions for me are around the leadership. Obviously, let's say six players are out. As we know, six players went out. Townsend has actually only really materially punished Finn and Sione Tuopolotu. And even with Tuopolotu. He probably wouldn't have started anyway because Sam Johnson was sort of back and Mm, and quite happy. So what does that say about Townsend's authority over the the group? Nothing good? I wonder if he initially was thinking, right, I'm going to drop all of those players and then looked at the squad and kind of thought, well, actually, I'm under a bit of pressure at the moment. I need to try and put out my best possible team and beat Ireland. Yeah, 100%. Especially if he'd made, let's say he'd made the decision that King Horn is going to start. You're then saying not only is King Horn going to start, yeah. but he's going to have Velikot inside him, which actually maybe isn't the worst thing in the world then, bro. You're going to have... Maybe Bennett at 13, Bennett Harris, and Harris at 12. Bennett and the centres together with Kyle Stain at fullback. Or Stain, maybe Kyle Rowe in his debut. Exactly. And then who's... I can't even think of you playing fullback at that point. So then we you'd get... Have, you'd have to call up... You'd have to call up someone else, I think. So then yeah. we get to a situation where are we thinking that those senior players are in a position within that squad where they feel a little bit untouchable? I don't know. I mean, ultimately, you're sort of theorising, right? But Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> boy, am I. If you make the assumption that Townsend would have liked to have pulled the lever of drop these six, I think what we're saying is that actually, if you're being pragmatic, you just can't. Given the depth and importance of those players. Yeah. Mm. So we did. We did also hear that Initially, Hogg was dropped, for instance, and then sort of had a conversation and managed to convince Townsend not to, yeah, to drop him. Which I think once again maybe speaks to a lack of authority or I don't know, like confidence in his decision making. Townsend's that is, yeah. It potentially also goes back to point. There clearly was some level of ambiguity around what people were and weren't able to do 
especially from a COVID standpoint. I have ambiguity around that as well, though. Because if it's... You're talking about Stuart Hogg, Ali Price, Finn Russell. Yeah. At least those three are members of the senior leadership group. They've been vice captains. They've been vice captains. So let's assume... Under Townsend at various times, including in this tournament. During this tournament. Yeah. So you've got to think that night out protocols... Unless they're being handed down by the coaches alone, which doesn't sound likely to me. Well, you think they, back to when the initial Finn leaving camp yeah. back in 2020, the the narrative around that was that it was the drinking rules, etc., were set by the players and the management. And I don't really see why that would have changed. Exactly. So the precedent is that the senior leadership team are setting these rules. So I just don't understand the ambiguity line. Because surely Hoggy, as captain of Scotland, knew when he was leaving the hotel whether what he was doing was right or not. I don't think it's as black and white as that. As that. Okay. I think ultimately there can be guidance, which which is guidance set by yourself that you know. Which is you you, are what, you can drinking. go out, but just don't be an idiot about it. I think I'd love it if that was the line. <laughs> like, Look, guys, we got a new memo out. Just like, don't take the piss. Which I think, but I, I, there has been some feedback that sounds like that generally was yeah. the the guidance mm. was, look, you can go out, just don't take the piss. Okay. And I guess in some worlds, some people think, could could come to the conclusion that a quiet night in, in the VIP area of why not constitutes not taking the piss versus I think maybe most people would see, you know, a hotel bar or something to that effect. Yeah. So... I, I, look, I'm sort of playing a little bit of devil's advocate, but I think the, it, there clearly wasn't hard and fast rules. It was more some level of guidance Yeah, for them to even be able to play the ambiguity card, right? <laughs> but I think within that, the fact that they have taken that ambiguity to its absolute extreme, rather than, as you say, you know, if they'd had like one too many pints in the hotel bar at the Orium, I think that's quite easily forgiven. Whereas they were clearly headed for a big night out. They weren't just having a few drinks. To my mind, it suggests that they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew that they were breaking the They knew it wasn't on. And the fact that Townsend had to call them up and say, get back here. Like, if, if, they, if they just said to him, oh no, we're just having a couple, it's fine. Then they would have stayed. The yeah, fact that a few of them came back, like just in the Queen's arms, having a couple of um, <laughs> softs. Yeah, but so, it's when you're in the queue. Do you think? Ho- ho- just, I just think he's, abusing, the he's taking, like, slightly taking the piss with that, and he knew that. I don't think that argument around. Well, I didn't know the rules. It was amb- ambiguous. I like the ambiguous. idea of Hog on the D floor, just like closing one ear with his finger, <laughs> trying to like. It's like today. Oh. And just trying to get some sort of reception down there. Yeah. It's quite a basement dweller sort of venue. Well, it's the, it is the... ignore that call, surely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It used to be like so the vault of like the Bank of Scotland. Exactly. I guess maybe they were in the queue because you used to get a free picture. I yeah. guess once you're in that queue, you don't really want to give that up. <laughs> so maybe that's why some of them stayed, some of them went, depending on how far forward they were. I think the picture went a long time ago. Ah, <sighs> sorry, God. Five pound entry, including a free picture. Uh, it, w- it was a yeah. dream, uh, retrospectively, unbelievable value. 2005 to seven, why not? Was really where it was at. Yeah. Yeah, with like minimum pricing now and stuff. Uh, that's, that's a different it's a, world. Yeah, it's a tough gig. Yeah. Absolutely. An absolutely tough gig. Well, we will, I mean, that's the off the field discussion. I think when we come on to talk about 
you know, where do we go from here? I think there's going to be an awful lot of, we'll have a discussion around about leadership, both on and off the pitch. Um, but Matt, why don't I come to you first? And I'll give you another really open-ended question and you can sort of guide us however you want. What went wrong on the pitch? Scotland, six nations, two wins, fourth in the table, you know? Yeah, I think that's kind of pretty scant consolation. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, the thing about that question is it's like genuinely hard to, I think, pinpoint a few things because at various points, almost everything that could go wrong went wrong. Yeah. I think that, you know, we talked about it in the newsletter and a lot of people talked about it, like the, the discipline and the defense have been on a downward slide and seem to sort of culminate in this tournament, which I'm just, you know, we, Scotland have clearly gone through this evolution, brought in Steve Tandy, who has until this year done a very good job of tightening up the ship and making Scotland hard to beat, as he says. And that just seems to have completely disappeared. And then for a while, as part of that evolution, you know, Scotland were maybe scoring fewer tries and that could be forgiven if everything else was solid. But that seems to have completely gone as well. And I think that when Scotland had the ball for a lot of points in the tournament, it it just wasn't clear exactly what they were trying to do. Um, and do you put that down to, I guess, personnel not performing? Or is it the sort of the tactical shape, the, the game plan being laid out by Tooney and Tandy and co? Yeah, it's... It's hard to say. I mean, I think the backline, from an attacking perspective, I think the backline directs a lot of the strategy and how you're playing and the decision making. And I think the key decision makers than that of you know Price, Russell, and Hogg didn't have great tournaments overall. Um, and then I think when you, and there could be varying reasons for that. Like Finn Russell, we know can be temperamental. He maybe struggles coming back from Racing to play in that Scotland team. It's difficult. Um, Price and Hogg might have had a bit of a Lions hangover, which I've got a, a bit of time for that argument. But then I think combined with the off-field stuff, that to me maybe suggests that there's something a bit more going on and that the, those players are not happy with um, the, the game plan, what they're being told to do within that. I guess, what do you think they're being told to do? I mean, I, I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, but, but I, I don't I, know. It's hard, I think that's a key issue, though, the fact is it was, it was very unclear to understand what Scotland were sort of trying to achieve. And if it's a kind of Townsend heads-up play as you see, which is what I think Russell is good at, then fair enough. But it just didn't really seem as if there's much direction in, in the attack. And it maybe doesn't help that, like, you chop and change your centres a little bit and I think bringing in Kinghorn just completely like defeats any purpose yeah. in that regard. What did you think about the attack in the first half against Ireland? Because there was moments, especially in the first yeah. sort of 20, 25 minutes, where yeah. I actually thought Scotland were, were looking quite nice. I think probably that bit, first half of the Wales game, and then a few moments in the England game, yeah. were where you kind of saw what they were trying to do, which was, I think when we keep the ball got some good runners and we've yeah. got a few players that can ask questions of defences that just didn't really happen often enough and then I think both in that first half against Wales and in the first half against Ireland seem to have a little bit of a struggle just getting 
when that being able to get phase play past sort of four or five and then also getting into the red zone and accumulating points you know in that Ireland game the amount of possession and good work they did to then be was it 14 or 12 nil down Mm, after about 30 minutes felt very deflating yeah and I think that the the discipline side of that doesn't help that when you get a bit of momentum it just seemed to constantly be ruined by like a brain dead decision yeah double digit penalties in every game 61 or 62 total i think over the the tournament the highest there has been and i think by a factor of sort of like two-thirds more than the six nations two years ago and at what stage does discipline become you know the responsibility of the players on the pitch versus you know how they're being coached to approach the breakdown or whatever it is in like the week by by the team around them to to be fair i think with dis- discipline it's it's very little on the the coaches yeah in terms of national coaches like ultimately <laughs> I, I can't you know i imagine they're they're pu- pushing a lot of like the messages around especially you know someone like xander like stop going for the ball so much for example um and I think actually one of the things I was thinking back to was sort of the Scotland-England game last year where there was just quite a few moments where it felt like Scotland were playing very smart. And then you look to the match this this weekend against Ireland and you look at both, and it's just sort of in my mind, is sort of both Darcy and Carl Stain giving away pens yeah. on kickoffs. And it feels like a player like Sean Maitland doesn't do that. Mm. And there's sort of like pros and cons for all the players, but it, they didn't feel like there was a lot of kind of smart play there was a lot of dumb penalties being given away whether it was Gil whether it was Gilchrist and I appreciate you know there was issues there but giving away all the penalties against France when it was okay or whether it was Darcy Graham and Carl Stain giving those pens away which kind of sucked out some of the momentum yeah it was just like there was there was a lot of pens but there was also just a lot of dumb penalties mm. that ultimately there's nothing Tony or Steve Tandy can do about it right yeah and it's a total momentum killer. Yeah. Do, do you think there within that the fact there's been so many? I mean, these aren't like bad brain dead players. I I, know, I appreciate that Fagerson gives away a lot of penalties, and maybe that's something he needs to be worked on. But it, the fact it seems like systemic, mm. and that that to me, I'm not saying that that's because of the the structures defensively that Tandy has put in place, but more that there's something going on behind the scenes in terms of that relationship between players and, and management where, I don't know, there's a breakdown in communications or there's like a lack of discipline, trust. So I, I suppose once it's on the pitch, the that responsibility passes from coach to captain, right? And, you know, we've talked an awful lot and we will talk more about Hogg's captaincy. You know, we were giving away a lot at the breakdown. What impact can, and this is again, possibly an unanswerable question for three blokes sitting in a room recording a podcast, but what impact can Hogg have from sort of 30 metres away from the ruck? Well, as St Andrew's best breakdown player of a generation, I've got (laughs) (laughs) pretty pretty good uh, CV to answer this, but no, um, I... And and captain as well. And captain. So you're both responsible for giving away the penalties and then... Trying to plead your case to the referee. Yeah, no, it was interesting balance of best breakdown player, but also worst captain of a generation. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I do get that. But at the same time, like, there's, there's got to be, like, forward leaders. And, like, ultimately, yeah. I, I, 
I do kind of get the argument that Hogg struggles to influence from from captain, but I ultimately don't think it's different if it's Dupont or bigger. I think when it comes to sort of those penalties around the ruck, like ultimately that's a f- you know forwards kind of taking responsibility and whoever kind of your pack leaders or leadership within the pack, whether it's a Gilchrist or Johnny Gray, mm. a McAnally, Fraser Brown, Hamish Watson, they're the ones that've got to be leading that. Whether your captain's a fullback, a scrum half, or a standoff, and sometimes again just doesn't feel like our forwards have that sort of either kind of tactical that smarts a little bit Hmm. feel like we maybe got out thought whether it was against wales or even against france in certain moments yeah i think you're right and i think it kind of made points that like leadership argument that like we've got some good players in that pack but do we have the kind of like savvy street smart guys and i don't know if we do and i don't know if we have any guys in that pack who are like particularly vocal with maybe the exception of someone like jamie ritchie i think is a someone who could have a good relationship with the referee yeah i don't know if like hamish watson one of our most senior players pretty quiet like i think bill gilchrist vice captain but you know didn't really see him and i think he had a pretty good tournament actually to be fair but he's maybe not one of those guys that's like leading that dialogue yeah it's interesting i actually don't think the forwards had a terrible six nations but there's almost just that delta between having a good and a great six nations Mm -hmm. and i think there's a little bit of that leadership a little bit around kind of what that voice is and then there's also just they're just not savage and like combative enough and they don't have any like freaks we don't we've got a lot of like good size athletes now but we do not have freaks like the french pack have got I think we're or the depth of the England pack or the Irish pack. Yeah, we're yeah. we're rarely going to win games solely through our pack. Yeah, like our pack could play ten out of ten against tier one nations. But we yeah. need our world class backs to deliver those big moments. So I actually think, even though as you said, I agree actually that forwards generally were pretty good. Pretty good. It actually isn't enough in that Scotland team to yeah. to lead to wins. 100%. Which is a shame because those guys are all like, I'd say, all like knocking their pan in and like performing to the best of their abilities. Yeah. But I even say when you think about that sort of mid second half against Ireland when there was just, they were getting kind of the one off runners. Yeah. And there was just, yeah. Even though they had a great, I felt the forwards had a pretty good game. There was just an inevitability and just, it was just slightly too easy to mm. get over the gain line and have that level of quick ball, yeah. which makes it essentially impossible sometimes to stop. And you talked about that sort of, we've talked an awful lot about this sort of the the back line, the once in a generation players at the start of the tournament. Man, we were so positive. That was going to be great. <laughs> You've talked an awful lot about that lack of attack and that attacking shape. What about we win against England and then Sam Johnson gets dropped all the way to the bottom, goes back to Glasgow. Sione Tupelotti comes in. Do you think that talks to the sort of the, perhaps like the tactical malaise that's in Scotland's attack at the moment? The thing is, I I wouldn't necessarily mind it if it was, you know, it, it was revealed after the fact that it was a horses for courses selection. And yeah, we, we win that game and Tupelotti does a few things that maybe Sam Johnson can't do in terms of maybe a little bit more dynamic in the carry. Yeah, And you think, okay, well, there was a reason for that, you know, we won the game, but I didn't really see that happening. And then I felt particularly against France. Two plus two can only really, I think, bring a power game, but he's not actually 
that powerful. I so think, I think relative to Dante. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, sure, sure. But then if that's the case, then maybe you pick someone who isn't going to try and run through the brick wall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that the selections in the back line at times were a bit, and I think the Kinghorn one, although there's maybe reasons behind that, I couldn't really understand the, the logic behind it. Do, and I know maybe we're coming on, going a little bit too far forward, but do you think the, the centres is something we need to sort of fundamentally readdress in terms of that balance between attack and defence? It's a difficult one because I think that Harris does bring so much and has been so good for Scotland defensively. And I think when things are going well around him, he can focus on that and maybe running some hard straight lines. And that's all he really needs to do. But if Price, Russell, Hogg, we talked about before, aren't firing, as was the case in this tournament, then his limitations come to the fore. And I think it's almost the same with Johnson as well. Like even though Finn Johnson and Harris have played a lot of games together, the the failure the failure of them is that they can't bring. I don't think they bring much cutting edge, and they're not good at getting other players in the backline into the game. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think you're right. I think when you look at especially, let's say Finn Hoggy Duhan Darcy Graham, they are attacking picks, mm. and it's like actually having Harris and even to appoint Sam Johnson there is a nice sort of balance between the two as long as that axis of 10 yeah. and back three is firing. And when that didn't start firing, although to be fair, Darcy Graham had a great tournament, yeah. then the, maybe sort of Harris's um, limitations in that field just become a little bit more apparent, right? Mm. Yeah, and I think we can come on to talk about that sort of stuff when we look, I guess, look forward to the summer tour. What sort of tweaks could we appreciate there? Very dour opening sort of 25 minutes of the pod there. Yeah. Should we lighten the load a little bit? And if I ask you what was good, you know, either individually or... Are we not doing my system? Yeah, let's do the system. Do you want to explain the system? (laughs) (laughs) I am the chairman of this podcast and I don't really understand the system yet. So if you could talk me through it, it'd be great. So we're going to split both players and general things into three buckets. (laughs) Okay. And you've got sort of your top tier... Which the, is the, the Dara Marfo tier. The Dara Marfo god tier. So as an example, Roy Darge falls into the Dara Marfo Straight Marfo. 100%. <laughs> We've then got the bottom tier, which is Matt Williams. The Matt yep. Williams. He's the bottom tier. Bottom tier. Bloody cesspit. Yeah. You've, you've had <laughs> quite a bad tournament. Just a slight like side segue. He probably came into the tournament as maybe like the second most hated Scotland coach with Scott Johnson bringing up the bottom. Scott Johnson's, you know, just by staying quiet and Matt Williams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's now like, Scott Johnson's like still in the relegation zone, but he's sort of moving up. And, and like a lot of players like openly ha- happy to pan him or in public. Yeah. yeah. Which is uh, which is always a bad sign. Every, no one's really come out too hard on Scott Johnson. They know Scott Johnson's still powerful though. They he, know that he, somehow <laughs> Scott Johnson's going to be the head of world rugby one day. Yeah, He's exactly. going to be like pulling the strings. But anyway, sorry. So the middle tier. We've What's got, the middle tier? We've got Marfo up the top. We've got Matt Johnson at the bottom. What's the middle tier? Yeah, and th- I think this is actually a, retrospectively a running joke between me and literally one other person <laughs> is the Hugo Southwell left foot tier. Cultured left foot. Okay. Which is, it's good. But you're, the, is, you're not raving about it, right? It's like, the kind of kick I, where he'd hit like a perfect spiral, but it would only go 25 meters. Exactly. 
I feel there's been times on this podcast that we've held up Hugo Southwick. No, I think we have. Sorry. very high. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. for the purposes of this conversation, yeah, it's good. But you know, it's yeah. It's I think you can amazing. put a lot in in there. Andy Henderson short ball, Marcus DeRolo missed pass. Like, there's a lot of like, it's just like <laughs> it's fine. All right, it's not world beating, yeah, yeah. but it's fine. Yeah. And I think again, maybe Scotland's pack falls into that category. Yeah. So okay. should we start? Since I opened this as a positive discussion. Yeah. Why don't we start with Rory Darge, you know, king of the Marfo lounge at Why Not <laughs> at the moment? <laughs> what, I mean, I guess, what is left to be said about Rory Darge in terms of his impact that he's had in the last six weeks? I do think, actually, that game against France is super important because I think the one thing about this season is he has managed to stand out and perform really well in URC matches, but was found a little bit wanting against La Rochelle. Yeah, yeah, in, that's it, true. In that, in those big Champions Cup matches, and that's why even before that France pod, we were like oh, a bit worried about what he's going to be able to do. And, and obviously, we were completely wrong. And he stepped up. It was the fact that it was like haining at six as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was really given response, like because ultimately he was operating within a back row and a pack where he was by far the primary. Um, like breakdown specialists, you know, no Watson. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have like Fraser Brown at hooker, for example. Like, you know, there was a lot of you know yeah. you, people like Haining, someone like Bradbury, etc. They aren't. They can obviously operate in the breakdown, but that's not there where their strengths lie. Um, and to have a lot of responsibility, and ultimately, halfway through that first half, he got sort of two or three turnovers, and that really shifted the momentum of the game. We were sort of 12 nil down, and I yeah. think without him being on the pitch, you could have ended up in half time, sort of 26-28-nil down. Um, and then whilst I don't think that form, he didn't stay at that level, he was 100% one of the best, better Scotland yeah. players on the pitch in that Ireland match. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right, and I think, is it too much to think that we're looking at the next five to six years of once Watson sort of probably comes over the top off the back of the World Cup, Darge will take the seven shirt. Richie's pretty much nailed in on that six shirt. And I guess Matt Ferguson's pretty solid in that eight shirt unless until something new comes along, maybe a Moncaster or something along those lines. But this is a decade of a decade of Darge. I mean if he continues playing on playing the same way he has. Um who else are you putting in the Marfo the Marfo lounge? Um Paul Pierce Cooman. Yeah, big time. I think that um, you know, even though he didn't start that first game against England, uh, came in for the Wales game and since then hasn't really looked back. And he's always been very good for Edinburgh, but you never quite know. And you know he's like absolute unit, like loves the physical side of things, is good in the scrum. But I think he probably exceeded expectations in like his first um first Six Nations campaign. Yeah. He was really good. Like and I even thought against Ireland I'd say Ireland would probably be like, he's the only Scottish player that might get in our pack. Like, I thought he was more effective than Keen Healy, for instance. Yeah, yeah. So opposite, wait, yeah, opposite other uh, loose head. I mean, it is, I love seeing him playing. Clearly, like, he loves playing Scotland so much, but it, it's slightly depressing that, like, our best player in the tournament, our best forward is from South Africa. There was you, I mean. I, I do get it. And there was something beautiful about that sort of like pick and go in the middle oh, of the, the field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think it was a try? Yes. I think he I just had the momentum. instinctively didn't think it was a try. And if yeah. it was the other way around, 
I don't. I didn't have the sound, and I was, I couldn't actually hear sort of the TMO. Yeah, no, I could. But I instinctively th- thought it was going to be disallowed, and sort of just was like, yeah, fine, great. <laughs> <laughs> but he was great, and I think that loose head is a position. Well, probably both prop positions, depth wise, has been a bit of a worry. Yeah, but to have Sutherland and him, hopefully staying fit, you know, yeah, that's pretty great. Uh, the the other person I put in, and he's twenty seven, which is sort of young in prop years yeah 100 percent. um so yeah he had a great tournament and the other person i put in just for individual level was uh darcy graham who yeah i think had his best six nations he was absolutely class yeah scoring returns against italy um wales great finish and then obviously he was a part of the penalty try against england as well and the first try and the first try yeah i think he beat the most in the ireland game yeah he beat most defenders in the game as well. Like when Scotland were under the cosh. Did he, did he answer any questions that you had perhaps about him defensively or in the air? Don't think he was particularly exposed. I, think I still across, think, as you yeah. said before, like there there is an argument for having a Maitland in there. Yeah. But I think it's almost to the point now where you maybe put Darcy slightly ahead of Duhan as your, as your like nailed on winger. Well, I think you come out the back of this with that back three and almost Darcy and Duhan are on the team sheet ahead of Hulk. They're nailed on, well, yeah. 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 And there's balance between the two of them. Even yeah, clearly. Like, like, Duhan like, looks like he's Darcy, but he's had like sort of experiments done to him. And he's just like <laughs> sort of swollen and gotten <laughs> enormous. <laughs> now, but no, so I think it's, yeah, it was good to see, because obviously he's been a little bit in and out over the last sort of mm. two years. Yeah. Just sort of. He's been the one that's been dropped rather than Duhan. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So actually, I think it was nice to see, and I think you know, in the world of like, it's probably moving away a little bit from sort of massive players, but you know, just his ability to be be a man in a short space in a short space, and how hard he hits the line. If yeah. Duhan could hit yeah. the line as hard as Darcy, or get involved as much, he'd as he literally does. murder people. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm trying to think beyond beyond sort of individual players. Night matches at Murrayfield. What are you saying? We should have them, as in that's in the Darmarfo tier. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, I think night a night match, fi- like a five yeah, fifteen. Yeah, five o'clock. Yeah, yeah, when it's dark on a so, Saturday night at Murrayfield, the atmosphere it, it's just banging. Yeah, yeah, for the England game. Yeah, yeah, which I, is the only I, one we have. I also think just generally. Yeah, I, th- I think there is something a little bit special about Murrayfield in darkness. <laughs> and what about if doing the. Uh, Wales thing and having a Friday night game at Murrayfield I'd be quite up for that I think I would be up for it I guess from an away standpoint and also if you've got kids and travel it's a I, I understand uh, for me I would absolutely well, be fine with it I, right? yeah. I don't have kids so I, you know uh, yeah and, <laughs> and I would love it if never taking Freya to the game ever yeah. again <laughs> that is true Freya will never be coming to apart from Scotland Tonga in Nice where I will I, I think oh. I've actually bought her a seat so <laughs> <laughs> on her own she's not, not going to be literally strapped to you <laughs> yeah 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 um, I quite like the, the idea of it I think no I do as well you, know, you kick off at 8 o'clock or something the stadium's so close to town I think you do, I understand I think you the do, away side yeah I think you limit but, you limit who can get to that to Edinburgh, Glasgow borders residents, but mainly you're going to get yeah. people from Edinburgh and Glasgow. Like, yeah. I can hear Graham Love shouting at us from Aberdeen, <laughs> being like, there's absolutely no way I can get that train down. <laughs> yeah. But even from a fan standpoint, I like the Friday night match. I think Friday nights are great. Yeah. So, so I'd now. like to see them experiment with it. I'd be, I'd be interested. Anything else in the Dora Morphotier? 
post Six Nations night outs and fingers. Ben, like, ben White's ten minutes against England. Ben White's ten yeah. minutes ben, against. Yeah, he's like opening five good. minutes of international rugby where he scored that try. That is that is banging. It's not like he's not got like the freedom of um, George Street, but he could certainly that weekend. That, he was, that night, yeah, he, that night he like could do Dublin what he wants. Street, maybe it's just like yeah, a real like <laughs> niche like offshoot in the new town. Yeah, it's got like two pubs in it. <laughs> Darren Moffatier for Ben White's profile in Scotland. Like oh, he had no yeah, profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know. Who, like, I have no idea. <laughs> no you idea. See him picking up like a low-level sponsorship from like a good estate agent or something like that. No, they'd be wanting Ben White. Ret- Ret- ben White's Ret- like have been like, in his yeah, ear already. Uh, yeah, yeah. C- c- presented by Coulters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else that you would chuck in there. I mean, I don't think it's. I think he's much more likely to be in the middle tier, whatever we're calling it. But I think Matt Fagerson is sort of. Kind of ended that conversation about I the number eight mid. jersey for a little bit. But I think he's. I, I think he's on. I think he's on the edge. He's he, on the cast. Yeah, I think if he Europa got, League because he missed sort of levels. Yeah, he missed Wales and France. Yeah. yeah, and I think if he'd had a full run, I think no, he started the Wales game. Did he start? He, yes, he came yeah. off. Sorry, yeah, but I think it, is that maybe more of a refle- he played well, but it's more of a reflection of Bradbury didn't manage to convert his sort of scintillating club form mm-hmm. pre-tournament into anything at an international level, really. And I think the whole debate that we were having pre-tournament about whether it was Bradbury or Ferguson starting, and I think we were probably... It's well, over. I was leaning probably a little bit towards Bradbury. Yeah, I think yeah, everyone yeah. was. Yeah. And I, I think, wonder if we do get into the hype, though. 100%. We're actually... It's not that we get into it. We Only start like two it, options. We start well. and drive it. <laughs> yeah. Don't miss out on your chance to see Glasgow Warriors at home at Scotston for the last time this season before the playoffs. Next Friday, they are hosting Zebra on Friday night at 7.35 kickoff. What better way to start your rugby weekend than getting down to Scotston and supporting Glasgow? Standing tickets from just £15 and then seats from £27 for adults and availability across the stadium. And it's going to be your last chance to watch some of the players that are moving on next season. And as I say, the last chance to see Glasgow at home before the playoffs. So get yourself some tickets and get down to Scotston next Friday night, the 1st of April, 7.35 kickoff, Glasgow versus Zebra. So let's go into the um, ambiguously named middle tier um, the Hugo Southwell so, left boot tier. I'm, I'm, Hugo Southwell has a former <laughs> appearance on this pod. I'm yeah. going to stand up for his left boot. Yeah, he was but a nice maybe guy. it is actually, you know, like that used to be the peak of Scottish rugby spiral kicks and then Hogg's really taken it to the next level. So maybe that is, you know, maybe that's why it is in the mid tier. Yeah. It would have been top tier back in the day. Oh, yeah. Like and, then, and then Darren Marfa came along as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Still the best Scotland debut ever. But anyway, we digress. We yeah. can do, we'll do our Daryl Marfo documentary one day. Um, <laughs> right, mid-tier. We've, we've sort of planted Matt Fagerson on the cusp. He's sort of he's chatting to the bouncer. Yeah. He's trying to negotiate into the Daryl Marfo VIP lounge. Who's very solidly at the sort of the Hugo Southwell VK bar in the main bit of Why Not? I'm just thinking about how much money we'd make from a crowd fund to do the Daryl Marfo documentary. <laughs> Just us, Tw- us. 20 quid? 20 pounds <laughs> from your mum. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think I think Watson. Hamish Watson? Yeah. I think solid, but... And, solid. And, and improving, you could argue, throughout the tournament. Yeah, exactly. Nice to see him overtake Johnny Gray as, like, that tackle stat guy. 
I do love that, but I also just like, I wish Scotland weren't just the, you guys, you, lo- you make those tackles, guys. You keep making them. I'm also like, what are the majority of those tackles like? Are they really close to the rock kind of grabs or? What do you think your percentage would be? What in my, in my life? Yeah. 60. That's all right. No, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so Hamish Watson. Yes. Obviously struggled a little bit. Would you say he struggled a bit with form? I think to be f- we got th- noised up by his brother for you got noised up by his brother on Twitter for suggesting his form was struggling a bit, didn't you? I stand by what I said. I think it's from he was, was hitting such heights yeah, in the Lions tour, unlucky to not get that Lions start. I think, and then yeah. you know, maybe it's there are a few people saying that maybe our Lions who didn't overall play that well in the tournament are struggling on the back of not yeah. having a break at all, and I've, I've maybe got a bit of sympathy with that. I do. I remember. And I think Watson was would fall into that camp. I, mean, I saw someone's like, "Oh, they didn't even play very much in South Africa." Like, that's not really the point. It's sort of like the sort of just also, mental they and physical quite to- a lot of the time as well. Yeah, and just the mental and physical toll of it was like an eight week period of being in a bubble. Oh, and then brutal. they had sort yeah. of what looked like the two greatest weeks in Mick and Noss anyone's ever had <laughs> yeah. with Finn Russell and Chris Harris, mm. and and then, then they're basically Finn back goes, to it. Yeah, Finn goes back to France and is expected to play every second, whereas. Maybe in somewhere like Ireland, the players are, you know, rested a lot more. But I feel like Watson came back quite quickly as well. Thinking yeah, about yeah, the start yeah, exactly. of the Edinburgh season, so no, I, th- I think it's. I think it, there is probably something to it as well, and I think we'll sort of come back to mm-hmm. it. And I think probably does feel like it's worth giving those players a rest as we move to the summer, especially because I think whilst obviously Dodge has played well, I still think when everyone's fit, you probably still go with Watson and Richie. Yeah, Darge so, off the bench. I agree. And I yeah. think unless Darge you know, starts to go even more stratospheric, that is what you're taking to the World Cup with Darge. Just too good to not have on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I, I put Watson in there. I think maybe a quiet start and then no bad games. And they missed that game to COVID because he came back, I think, and played really well against Ireland, actually. I mean, I basically think everyone in the pack... Yeah. yeah. Shout for George Turner not knocking say. the do- knocking on the door of the VIP lounge. Yeah. I think maybe if his arrow's been a little bit better against Wales. Yeah. He's yeah. he's sitting in the the, the Talk the about guys that carry hard into contact. George Turner. Horrific. <laughs> that guy's head is like specifically against <laughs> Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Like he just looks like a psychopath. <laughs> if he was like ten kilograms bigger, you know, naturally. Yeah. He'd be like the best player in the world. He's an absolute brute. I thought he had a brilliant and I guess yeah. if we in the same way in which Fagerson sort of put to bed the number eight question, you would say that George Turner's the starting Scotland hooker at the moment, Matt? I, I, I would start him, but I don't know if it, if in Townsend mind Townsend's mind he is a starting hooker. Mm. And I think you saw that across you know, come there was still about chopping and changing, yeah. yeah exactly. Changed the front rows around a wee bit. Brought in McAnally to start against France, I think. And Wales. And yeah, France, yeah, he was sorry, part and of the, Wales, the exactly. swap, yeah. And that's maybe a slight horses for courses, I, I'm, I don't know. But I, I feel like Turner just brings you actually quite a lot more than the McAnally. Fr- and then Brown sort of comes back into things. But I think Turner brings you more of what we need, yeah, which is that combativeness. Abrasive. Yeah. And I don't think... 
think previously they did, but I'm just not sure that Rambo and Fraser Brown bring enough of that other part of the game to counteract what Turner is. Turner slightly do. younger? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Couple of years. Couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's I think he's at sort of like peak hooker age at the moment and will be at that age going into the World Cup, whereas maybe yeah. McAnally and Brown are a wee bit You'd think it's gonna be him with one of the with one of those two, I would one say. One of those two. Maybe an Ashman coming through as the third man on yeah, the Yeah, I like, I like Ashman, actually. I, I feel potentially just with another year with Fraser Brown, just a number of injuries and, and whatnot. Yeah. It feels like you probably end up with like a Turner, Rambo, Ashman. But you see his value, or how, certainly how Tooney values Brown, bringing him onto the bench for that Ireland game. He clearly offers that front row mm. and back row option. He's great over the ball. Yeah. He's also a complete psycho in terms of like the physicality that he brings, but maybe he's just a little bit more injury prone. Yeah, no, for sure. I feel like second rows, still just a lot of questions around what the right combo is. Feels like we've got an awful lot of very capable second rows, but we mm. don't really have any absolute worldies. Like we don't have a Mauro Toji, we don't have like a Willemser, we don't really have like a James yeah, Ryan yeah. that is like next level. Yeah. Whereas, and I think Johnny Gray, I don't know, he's obviously coming back from injury. He didn't really stand out when he came back against Ireland. He I, I thought he, he did does. pretty well. Yeah. But yeah, he uh, he does what you'd expect of him. Like, yeah. He's got a really good engine and will make a hell of a load of tackles, but just doesn't have that like bulk in the carry. But the Cummings, Gray, Skinner, when he can do a job, Gilchrist, like there's sort of four of them there that are kind of going to be there. With then like the, the younger Bucks coming through with Hodgie, maybe even Marshall Sykes, Sykes, Glenn Young, Glenn Young, yeah. No, and I think you're right. I think all those four, you're you're absolutely happy for them to be in your starting Scotland team. But I don't think any of them are, are getting in anyone's Lions team. No, and I think like they all had good tournaments actually. Yeah, I think. Well, yeah. obviously Cummings didn't play, but. <coughs> Cummings had a good club game. <laughs> had good club games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I thought like Skinner Skinner played really, really well. But yeah. As you say, he's he's not troubling that Ireland squad. Big old boy Skinner. Big old boy. Yeah. When he was in our particular VIP lounge on the train back yeah, from yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Cardiff, yeah. <laughs> he's a big he's a big guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's where I can understand the ambiguity. It's like, can I do it on a train? Like, is that allowed? I think there was nothing ambiguous with the way that Finn was getting stuck into the beers on the train back from yeah. Cardiff. Caveat in the T's and C's that you can't enter the Thistle Suite in Carriage A. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I was thinking people that you could maybe add into like the blooding of some new players. Is that kind of like goodish? I think like Ben White. Yeah, it's showed like a, enough in patches that he was pretty decent. A broad sort of like tracker fund of young new people that we can put into the middle yeah like i thought it was nice to see velikop feature i'd like to see him a little bit more had an extremely yeah. lively three minutes yeah but it was like it was embarrassingly small amount of time mm. yeah. i think it was peter wright on the bbc podcast was just like what's the point of putting these guys on for such a little yeah. time yeah Which, and it does speak to the fact that maybe townsend just doesn't trust them enough I, I do also get it, though. I think he was, like, getting angry that, for example, Jamie Hodgson didn't get as much time against You're France. You're right, getting angry. <laughs> and you're kind of like, Hodgson, I think, is a really good prospect, but he prob- it's probably... He's not there. He's not in that bracket of four yet. Exactly. No. Yeah, totally. Um, but, yeah, like, Hodgson getting a bit of Six Nations experience, like, it's... Do, do we think 
I know we're sort of moving slightly out a little bit, given his maybe a pickup and form at the back end, that Price has sort of shifted into that middle tier. I thought against Italy, I know he had sort of some issues, but obviously open play was looking good. Start of the Ireland game, he had a lot of nice touches, and I actually thought his kicking was a lo- was much more improved against Ireland. It was more the chase that was the issue. Yeah, <laughs> I think I remember back to the England game. I think yeah. Price's exits and kicking was very good. Yeah, Price oh. Price is excellent in that game. He was very very good. So I think he's had a sort of inconsistent, but I think he's he still sits in the Hugo. Lunch. Yeah, he's mm. in the Hugo. Left-footed as well. Exactly. So, it makes sense. Nice circularity there. there. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's move to the Matt Williams tier. It's what we really want to... What we're really here for. Actually, say, uh, what we just discussed well, is pre. Yeah. Does Matt Williams get in the Hugo Southwell lounge? This is the, probably your most controversial thing, <laughs> including the two that we can't broadcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you, Matt Williams is clearly the worst. But there was that annoying thing where he was saying a lot of stuff in the Irish press, which actually, when you really sit down and watch it and think about it, was probably fair and then also kind of came to be true. Yeah. Now, still doesn't mean that his name shouldn't be on the door of the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there is an argument to suggest that some of his commentary has pushed him, let him have a pop into the Hugo Southwell lounge. I think he's so vain as well that if you said, look, Matt, we've got you this lounge, it's got your name on the door, <laughs> and it was just full like, really average, he'd, just, he'd be really happy with that. Yeah. So, um, he is a complete prick, but unfortunately, gets with clicks. a lot of those clips that were sent around, mm. the Irish guys that were bagging Scotland, they, they were doing it from a position of like, I don't know, position of power is not right, but like they were saying things that were true. From a position of authority. Yeah. It's true, yeah. and I guess you know, guys like Rob Carney, like he was saying some really bad stuff about Scotland, but like, he spent like ten years of his career like beating Scotland and, and beating win- yeah, Scottish and winning, club teams, winning Grand Slams, winning Six Nations, and playing like, against playing against lights of Hog, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think there there is something specific about Ireland. Both it feels like the players and the media that they just do not respect Scotland. Yeah, and- Ireland's my number two rivalry in the Six Nations. I think if you've got to put England as number one. I hate Ireland second. <laughs> but the thing is, I don't think it's, I don't think it's personal. Like no. I think a lot of people were like, oh, they have it out for, um, for the Scots. But actually listening to Shane Horgan post the Ireland game. Yeah. He was, he actually said, he was like, yeah, that Scotland performance was, was poor. The, the events leading up to it are like really amateur, but he was like, look, the Scotland team, it should be good. There's, it's full of like loads of really good players. Yeah, and I actually think that even though Matt Williams backed Scotland the whole time, he would actually quite like to see Scotland doing okay. Yeah, no, agreed. he wouldn't have a career anymore. But I think ultimately that Leinster and Munster to a point, and Ireland have created quite like a, a ruthless culture as well. Mm, where I just that's don't, true. I just don't think they accept that sort of mediocre, yeah, yeah, yeah. performance. Not winning and, stuff. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately they have proven it over the last sort of five or six years enough to be able to probably take that position, especially against Scotland, where ultimately that game like, has just played out so many times before. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, that first half is just so classic Scotland Island. Or like the whole narrative of that game is just so classic Scotland yeah, Island. 100%. That Tom English probably could have written the article, had it saved, and just literally changed some <laughs> names and published it. Yeah. 
That would be great. Tomming just files on Friday night. Sets like a time for when it goes out, just past them. Um... Do, do we think Tom English is, is, is almost gone? He, he, I feel like he's almost lost. He, 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 you could sort of trace his articles just showed like that hope at the start. Post yeah. England game, he really rode that wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just, be, the Wales game, it was almost like, he was generally like super depressed. <laughs> just like, but the Scotland team had been built up so much, and then by the end of it, he was he was just going to town really on the Scotland feels team. The disappointment that we all do, and he just, yeah. he's like more eloquent than we are, just sort of mm. like mashing the keyboard yeah. on Twitter. One hundred percent. But the Matt so, Williams, so, yeah, so Matt, Matt Williams, Williams is maybe he can be a basement dweller of the Hugo Southwell tier. <laughs> the bouncer has yeah. turned a blind eye. Look, he's snuck in. Yeah, he's give, <laughs> but yeah. he's still name on the door for the worst tier here. Yeah, who's in there? So I think the the first name people we can put up for discussion is Hog. Yeah. Now, before we start, and I just actually pulled this up before, I think the argument for Hog, which I think is kind of an interesting one is across the whole Six Nations, and this is according to the Six Nations stats, Yeah, Hogg is top of meters made. Sorry, the whole tournament. Not whole tournament. Okay. Yeah. He is over 150 meters ahead of anyone. So he's on 653, Monte Ioni's on 498, and Freddie Stewart's on 491. He's second for carries, whether you see that as a positive or negative is one. And he's in the top 10 for offloads with six. Hmm. So from a stats standpoint, that looks like a really strong tournament. That looks like him and Marfo Bottler Cavassier <laughs> just like really <laughs> kicking back at the top end. But I think, and we were saying this, is it really felt like Hogg struggled across a lot of this tournament to really assert himself. Hmm. You know, you just compare you compare it back to the, the England match from last year, where he was such an assertive presence and really just took that whole game yeah. by the scruff of the net. Yeah, I think it's really difficult to categorise him. Like, I think you can make arguments for the Pum anywhere. I think the thing with Hogg that I think has gotten to frustrate me, and I'm not going to say I'm representative of the fan base. I think is he is the spokesperson. He talks an awful lot about being their best and everything like that. And I just, he always sort of, he makes loads of yards and he does things, but it just seems that every time there's a big moment, I think you can pretty much make, make and every time there's a big, really critical moment, he, he just does not deliver. And within this tournament, you've got the two big examples, Ireland and France, hmm. plus night out gate. And there was a, was it not a kick in the Wales game at quite a key moment that he kicked out of the fool? Yeah, he kicked one out on he the He did fool. that a couple of times. Yeah. And it just feels that, you know, like a player like Dan Bigger, who is not perhaps, he's not as skilled, not as natural an athlete as Hogg, can't do anything. I mean, I'm comparing apples and oranges here, but those big game moments when you think about like the proper legends mm. of the game that raise their countries to bigger than the sum of their parts, Hogg, particularly this year, just hasn't done that. And that's what I, that's what I really struggle yeah. for. And I think that's probably good enough to get him into the um, Hugo Southwell lounge. Yeah. But I think the reaction, his personal reaction and not reading the room, having been Mr. You know, we want to be the best versions of ourselves. We've got so much pride in the jersey. I wanted to be captain. Yeah, I yeah. want the responsibility. To then, this sort of the childish thing, to firstly go on the night out, getting confused by his own rules. And then to get annoyed when people were asking about it. And now it seems that like he's gone down to Exeter. And look, Rob Baxter 
doesn't care about the SRU. He can say what he wants. He's protecting his player. But like, he seems that Hogg's gone down there. He doesn't seem to have learned anything. And it, that leaves me with a sour taste in my mouth. So that means he's getting, you know, a little rum and coke in the Matt Williams suite. But like with no ice. And no, no ice. No yes, life. In a, in, a pl- cup, <laughs> in a plastic cup in the Matt Williams suite from me. Or maybe it's just like like a Maduri. That's all. A it's Maduri. just a little, like a warm Maduri. No yeah. ice. So yeah, yeah I've no, got so, I, many, it, I've got I, so yeah. many mixed feelings about hockey. I have a lot of sympathy with that. And I think that... I think that all... I think he played very well in the England game. I don't think he didn't make any of those kind of mistakes. He did the basics very, very well. Yeah. And I think he actually did the same in parts of the Ireland game. Yeah. Where he, at, at various moments, he was probably our best player. Um, I think in terms of those stats of him having like the most carries, I think some of that is good play. Some of that is the fact that he's just a fullback who yeah, always carries sure. carries back. Yeah. And I think that that once again speaks to whether either him or a fullback should be, or the kind of player he is, should be your captain. That in the, in those moments he wants to assert himself, so he's probably going to run everything back as much as possible. You know, I, I think we talked about this before on the back of like high profile mistakes. And I, I think maybe out with this tournament, like he's probably contributed more positively to big wins and big moments than those negatives yeah but as you said like combined with i think how he's behaved as a captain i don't know it's i think it's quite interesting how i think quite a lot of people have now turned on someone who was an icon and like was being talked about as is he our best ever player too big now their legacy being quite well, at threat of being tarnished. I don't. I don't think is 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 at threat of being tarnished. I think there's been two big narrative shifts that have been that has been is Hoggy, you know, first name on the team sheet. Is he invaluable to this team? I think mm. people are questioning that. I think people are beginning to actually come around to the idea that Finn Russell might actually just be unfit. <laughs> <laughs> like people, there's definitely being more yeah. questions asked yeah. about why has Finn got a quite bad rig for a professional athlete. But anyway, that's sort of by the by. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might talk about that. Whether might, he's, whether he's in the sat in next like, to him in the lounge. The holy cows, have, there's a couple that have been slotted this um, Six Nations. <laughs> I think the whole narrative will can shift quite quickly, right? Like, yeah. I I don't know. I, I think whether he would... I'm sure, I don't know whether he would agree with this. I think it would be better for him and the team and just everyone in general for him to relinquish the captaincy and just focus on being the best fullback mm. he can be, and just being a leader in that 100%. squad. Now, that's a really hard thing to do, right? <laughs> Especially when you've like proactively gone after that role, but it, it feels even actually more so, back to the points we were making earlier, it feels really important for Scotland, given where our weaknesses are, to have a forward leader a little yeah. bit. And I, and I think, ultimately, if there wasn't a clear candidate, then you don't do it. But I do think Jamie Ritchie probably is becoming that clear candidate. And you've got the summer tour, which is an opportunity to, you've got the narrative, oh, we're going to rest Alliance players because they've, you know, had so much time. Mm. We're going to make Ritchie the captain. We go to Argentina, come back in the autumn. You're like, oh, Ritchie did so well. Hog, you know, is going to still be a senior player. Yeah. We're going to carry on with Ritchie as captain. Yeah. And you can kind of sort of play that story, mm. story out. Um, now, obviously, there's a different question about how Richie deals with what is 
I'm sure a very powerful uh, a selection of very powerful players in that back line and the big, dog, the big dogs. Supposedly, proclaimed big dogs. Supposedly, call themselves the big dogs. I mean, <laughs> if I, I don't I, know, I mean, <laughs> do you not understand irony, guys? Or like, do you not thought of a better name, like even a funnier name or something? Probably not. Um, but no, I mean, best case scenario is I think Hog just you know keeps his head down and bashes out some big performances for Exeter. Yeah. The question is, if it got to the point where you're like, right, he is. Maybe we'll get onto this, but he is a bad influence or you know we want to make a we want to send out a message who else would you play i don't think that this is maybe the problem with scottish rugby that like it's i so don't shallow. think it's it is shallow in some ways and i don't know who you would i mean it would have to be kinghorn right i mean after kinghorn it's ollie smith probably yeah exactly Byron McGuigan. <laughs> yeah i know no sean maitland people that have played 15 for scotland in the last like 10 yeah. years Stuart Hogg plus some also runs yeah Hugh Jones Hugh Jones but again who played fullback when Hogg played 10 against Italy I think it was Maitland okay but to, to your point I think it's ultimately over the last 10 years Hogg has been an extremely positive force mm. on this team yeah. and I yeah. think to your point it's clearly been a bit of a bad tournament both in certain respects on the pitch and I think especially at the back end I, I do think when you look back at that press conference and some the demeanour and some of the comments it looks quite bad but I think ultimately there, there, there is a way that we that you can just sort of like almost forget what's happened and sort of just 100. take it forward oh yeah I think there's a very easy way out of it and yeah. actually I have sympathy for him you know like because he's I think he is quite he will be self-aware he will know that he's probably butchered that chance. He will know that he's been on the piss on the Saturday night before. You know, he knows how the media works. He's not an idiot in that sense. So, you know, to to, to go out and do that, hmm. I just think he could have been handled. Maybe he was badly advised. I don't know. But, like, his attitude just didn't come. He just did not hit the right marks in that press conference. Yeah. Who else is joining him in the lounge? Finn? In the bad lounge. I think Finn, in some ways, is, his tournament has been very similar to Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think, like, for Scotland to do well, Finn needs to be playing, like, an 8 or a 9 out of 10 every game. And maybe that's, like, quite a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, but that's just the reality, right? Well, I guess look at it. He's one of the best played, paid players in the world. He's meant to be world class. And I'm like, well, fine, that's your role, that's your job. And I don't think he was that in this tournament. Yeah, good, good on the good side of the ledger. Last twenty minutes against England, where he sort of took it by the scruff of the neck. Some of the first half against Wales. Yeah, there, I thought there were some moments against France. So did I. Those phase he was play passing well was good. Yeah, I think it was almost moments in France where his passing was the best it's been in the whole tournament. Yeah. Countered by that jogging around period. <laughs> yeah, I was less bothered about that jogging around. His discipline. It was another second half against Wales. Another ten that, minutes in the bin. That was a complete fall off. Yeah. And like you know, he kind of got away with it in the last Six Nations when he got binned and then yeah. red carded. Like that was what was frustrating, particularly in the Wales game. Having seen him that that sort of switch flick in the last twenty minutes against England, when he sort of took it by the scruff of the neck, put us in the right areas, mm-hmm. got the result. You know, we were sort of floundering against Wales, and maybe it's not fair to put, lay it at his feet, but like. 
he didn't raise his game to sort of help raise the team. And that's, as you say, that's what we need from a player like him. Uh, that's the thing. And I think, you know, it, it comes back to that sacred cow you were talking about being slaughtered. Like, if he was in really, you know, in from the outside, like, really good shape and had behaved or hadn't gone out in this night out, etc., then I think that could, it would be a different conversation. Yeah. But taking all those things together... I just think you do this leads to this like quite big question of wh- what does he want from his international career at least like does he want to be known as you know he could be in the conversation of Scotland's best ever player right yeah yeah I think sure. but I just I don't know if at times if he's like and people say that he's this utmost professional and I just I I think there's question marks around whether that is actually the case well, the two biggest sort of discipline breaches of Scottish rugby in the last five years have both involved him, and one of them was about him specifically. Oh, well, I guess if we sort of merge it together a little bit, our sort of tripod of drinking in the bleak watering hole of the Matt Williams Lounge, could it be Hawk, Finn and Tooney? I think in terms of like, if we measure the mm. entrance for that, like what you've got to show to the bouncer to get in is like, what was your reputation going into the tournament? And what yeah. was your reputation leaving the tournament? You know those like political tracker polls that they do. Like, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. like all of them are definitely in the negative column. Yeah. The, the the thing I just keep coming back to is who do Scotland need more to get through the group stages? I'm just talking about the group stages of the World Cup, and I think the answer might be Finn versus Tooney. Oh, versus Tooney versus Tooney. Yeah, I'd go with that. Uh, Finn and Warren Gatland. Finn Horgan. <laughs> I'd actually love it if we got Warren Gatton on like an 18 month contract just to the end of the World Cup but it's difficult I, I'm not convinced and I don't think any of us convinced by Blair Kinghorn Hastings is good but even for Gloucester the matches I've watched I don't know if he's performing at a level or has performed for Scotland and clearly Tooney doesn't trust him right to, to have that 10 jersey the, the reason Kinghorn's playing right when Hastings yeah. is fit and to the point earlier about the fact that in the next 18 months, we're not going to have a four-pack that's as good as South Africa or Ireland. Yeah. So our backs sure. are going to have to be absolutely firing. Mm. And I just don't know if we can do that without Finn. So, And I think Townsend knows that as well. That's why he's been yeah. super pragmatic. Yeah, yeah. And I think you could add a little bit Price and Hogg into that. Yeah. I think without Price, Finn and Hogg firing, Scotland have, an all, have a very low chance of getting through the group stages. Yeah, 100%. So you end up in the position where, and whether it's true, you know, if it came down to one or the other, should Dodson make the tough call? He earns 900 grand. Love he's it. paid to this earn the tough call. This is why he's paid. That whilst obviously it's not a good thing to do, given the sort of, um, obviously the players doing the breach, etc. But is it the best thing for Scotland going through to that World Cup to get rid of Townsend? If we, if... You know, the signs are there. We don't know everything, but the signs are there that there is not a great relationship. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> Alan coming out for Tunia. I know. Very, I'm not coming out. interesting. No, I think it's a really important question. Um, and, you know, there are these, like, murmurings that the camp is, like, a toxic place. You've, you've seen that word mm. about a point. Yeah. That, like, maybe this, 
events of last weekend is a rebellion. It's like a breaking point of, I don't know, they're being treated like children or they're unhappy with, with how things are being run. I don't know. Um, I think combined with, it seems, Townsend's like reign has been very up and down. You know, yeah. Like 2019 World Cup, absolute disaster. Then things get a little bit better. But then the Finn stuff. felt like we were on the... Yeah, and then you sort of go down again. Um, I think I think this tournament, when the performances have been poor and you've had the discipline issues, and also I think the selection has been quite yeah. strange, none more so than the Blair Kinghorn one, you kind of think that maybe something's not quite right with Townsend. And I, I actually do agree that, like, are you going to get out of that group stage with Hastings or Kinghorn or Ross Thompson. Yeah. How no, important do you think all. at a corporate level the SRUC getting out of the group stage at the uh, World Cup? Well, I guess it's a different... You know. <laughs> or, or, so, I think Dodson's done. He's been there for... He's going to be there for 12 years when she gets to World Cup. I think that's his contract done. Him and Townsend's contracts are sort of like... They're interlinked. Like, Dod- Dodson's not getting another contract no, not 100 no, percent not yeah, handling yeah, 100%. so and I, I don't think i don't believe townsend will unless something else something no. massive changes so for someone like dodson it's an interesting situation he's not needing a good scotland performance because he's not going to be staying on i think maybe if he was like two years in yeah mm. he'd be like shit if scotland you know let's say worst case scenario they lose to South Africa, Ireland, and Tonga, which is a very real possibility. And Spain. Israel Flowers just committed to Tonga. For the I know, I saw that. Leave us alone. But I think it, it generally seems, again, that Dodson is very Team Tooney. And I think... Well, I think they're, they're li- linked, because he was the one who made the big strategic call... Mm. Yeah, Tooney over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're Harry Potter and Voldemort. They're but, connected. But at the same time, I think <laughs> <laughs> I don't know which one's which. Which one's which? Yeah, yeah. Dodds has got to be. Yeah, Dodds. Dodds Voldy. Yeah, Dodds yeah. is not Harry Potter. <laughs> That's very true. I don't. I'm not going to cast Tooney straight away as a Harry Potter esque no. character, but, but it's a flawed metaphor. But, but, let's go. But then at the same time, I don't think it's a good message, right? To to sack Tooney after what's happened. I think it looks really bad publicly. Um, after as in the players can just do what they want. Players have players have broken protocols. Yeah, yeah, and we're firing the coach. It just looks bad. But again, he's paid the big bucks to make those decisions, to make these right? Big calls. And I, you know, ultimately, I think potentially the best case scenario for everyone is for Tooney to walk. Mm. But again, I don't know. That's. that's he shouldn't have to do that as well, right? But if, make that I guess call. If, he's, if he feels that he's lost the room. Yeah. You know, if I, and I'm not saying that, you know, I'm sure Tooney's uh, well remunerated. He'll want to go to a World no. Cup. He'll want to right the wrongs of 2019. Yeah. The follow-up to that is what coach has taken that gig? That, I was just, just going to ask that's, that. That's part B of that question, isn't it? It's like, well, who's actually going to come in with 18 months to go? Scotland in a low ebb. Who fancies that gig? Is this the ultimate yeah. Matt Williams redemption story? <laughs> Joint ticket. Matt Williams and Scott Johnson come back. The players would be out every single weekend. <laughs> it would be funny. It would be like the banter era of Scottish rugby. We are living in the, well, si- the simulation we, we, banter yeah, yeah. era. So. If you're a coach and you look at that and you're like, team looks a little bit broken. Yeah. 
they've got South Africa and Ireland plus a Tonga with a Luamapi, Falau, etc. I just don't know if that gig's helping me. Maybe if you get like a, a five, six year contract, but you'd, you'd, you'd want to take it after the World Cup, right? You want to bad World the, Cup, pick up the pieces, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think like you people are like oh, get Scott Robertson in. I'm like he has expressed no interest. <laughs> Not even like Z- everyone's like oh, but I literally think it's because his name is Scott Robertson. <laughs> people are like he'd love to coach Scotland. I think he's aiming high. I think he'd aim for like the England job, for instance. 100%. Which would be, I think, for him, a lot more attractive. And beyond that, I honestly don't really know who you're getting. You, yeah. you take a punt on a super rugby coach, that's risky. Yeah. Like, Wayne Pivak's been very yeah. up and down for Wales. And right? then you look at the in-house options. Mike Blair's not ready. Mike Blair is, I think, Scotland coach from probably 2027. Well, yeah. I think that's his setup. If he can yeah. take Edinburgh over the next five years, win win the URC, compete in Europe, yeah. I think he is your default option potentially. Mm. So what you're saying is bring back Dan McFarlane from Ulster. Again, Dan, why would Dan McFarlane take it? I think he's he's the number one choice for 2023. Yeah. If he can get a big trophy with Ulster. For, for Ireland. For Scotland. Oh, McFarlane. Or Ireland, I, I guess he, he'll be in the discussion. For I, Ireland I think, as I well, think he'd, ra- yeah, I think he'd rather have the Ireland job. If though. he gets a big trophy with Ulster between now and twenty twenty three, I think he's front runner for both Scotland and yeah, Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if that job comes up. Mm. So again, what like Who's why would, the why would you job, take yeah. it? I think Vern Cotter is, is oh, the only legitimate I love option. The Vern Cotter, but I just don't know if he leaves Fiji. He could do. A year and a half. I, I, of like yeah. really Cotter, intense, no Warren nonsense. Gatland could do the 18 months. Vern Cotter with Laidlaw as skills coach. <laughs> oh, my word. <laughs> it would be savage. That would be, be the worst camp ever. It would go down so well with like your this like the, the Scottish old, Rugby yeah, Forum yeah. on Facebook. I think we'd like love that. Yeah. I, mean, I think like the general fandom would be like, because there's always that feeling that Vern is like unfinished, unfinished business. Unfinished business, yeah. It was. It was also. And Grieg's so popular, quite rightly, for everything he did in the Scotland show. I think you talk about keeping a happy camp. Somehow that Vern Laidlaw. Clearly, there's a few players that weren't. You know, it's been public stuff, but they seem to keep a happy camp. And a lot of players talk very positively about those Vern years. Basically, everyone apart from Jim Hamilton. Yeah, has spoken really yeah. positively about Vern. Vern yeah, Carter. I think the other point is that we've talked about before. Laidlaw and Russell have an extremely good relationship. Yeah. And that Laidlaw might be able to bring Russell in line. So maybe Laid- and you know, Laidlaw Russell and Hogg have, a, I think, a good relationship. So maybe Laidlaw finishes up in Japan this year and then is brought back into the SRU fold as a auxiliary Hi- coach for Hype Man. Yeah. <laughs> he's just, <laughs> he's he's just, just like fat Joe. super patriotic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, this guy means but business. But you bring him in to just be around. Yeah, lift the standards. I don't know. Yeah, the standards like, are lacking. At the that moment. group will still respect him, and as you say, he does have core relationships. And the SRU love getting people back on the payroll. Oh yeah, like look at anyone with like a semi-Scottish rugby profile over the last ten years. They're all on the SRU payroll, apart from us. But actually, going, go, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> that's still waiting for that payroll. What are we doing do wrong? Guys? <laughs> I know. I know. We tore the party line. Yeah, don't we? All this Pro time. SRU. Yeah. God. Yeah. But then I think just circling back. Yeah, let's touch base on that. Dodson, I don't think needs to make it, do it. I don't think Tooney will want to do it. 
I think it looks terrible from the outside. And I don't know whether you want to set that precedent of player power. Yeah. At, mm. So I just don't think it happens. I think Dodson's looking... The smart player for Dodson is internal review. Try and keep it as quiet as possible. Yeah. I reckon some number two heads go. Whether it's like a skills well, coach that or after some... the 2019 World Cup. Yeah. Matt, Matt Taylor. Matt Taylor. Like, um, Tunil stay... I don't think Tandy will go. I don't. I think Tandy's probably got a big enough brand that he survives. But <laughs> just get rid of John DL. John DL be in the role for like a year. <laughs> like get lost. John DL, but like maybe they're just like he's not good enough. I, I can never pronounce his name, but is it Peter a, a- B- a- B- Zond- Zond- yeah. That, yeah, that he. I mean, he's, he's only been there for six months, so hasn't he? exactly. Look, if you've got to, if you've got to do the review, you've got to show change. So then you change, you change mm. your captain. So there's a new thing coming through, and then you, I would, I would sacrifice a couple of coaches. But there's no coaches you can get rid of. You got John DL, coach can Steve John. Tandy, AB. Like, there's no. Look at the roles that they create within the SRU for people. <laughs> like, who's it, what the MD for Glasgow is now? What like head of international NFTs projects. or something like that? Projects. Like, what, like what is that? Project. Special project. Of course, John Can't DL wait will be for the old like, glory DC NFT drop. It's going to be so good. <laughs> like John DL becomes like head of the Super Six. Yeah, do you know no, what I mean? Like yeah, the, the SRU, yeah. they can move people around and keep everyone happy or relatively happy. Yeah. Do you think there's room for? Uh, and within that, presumably there'd have to be a complete reset of relationships between Townsend, Hog, Russell. They're all three of them. They need to do like a sort of pact. It's like, look, all three of our rela- of our reputations are intricately linked to the 2023 World Cup. Yeah, we need to yeah. fucking man the fuck up and sort out any shit that we've got between us. Don't look past the end of that. Just that, but World that's Cup. it. But that's the thing. Like Hog and Finn will be Hog and Finn will both be up and over thirty. Yeah, Tuni will yeah. be coming to the end of his his contract with Scotland. Like this is it. Mm. Their last World Cups. I mean, Tuni might come back in some sort of other guys for another nation, but like. For Hog and Finn, this is their last go. There needs to be a, a sort of a clear the air session and then a real like, come on, we've got 18 yeah. months to inspire this group, this country, whatever it is, and then go. If only it. there was some sort of lounge where they could sort of discuss these things over a, like a know, warm cocktail. In, in, uh, why not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple of, couple of heavies at the front. No one else allowed in. No one's allowed in. They've got to go... Yeah, choose your weapon at the VK. Choose bit, your weapon at the VK bar. Could be that bit at the back, the VK bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They could close that off. Yeah, but, but you're right. Off. Like th- their reputations and their, you know, legend status within Scotland Look, is legacy. all linked. Is all linked. Their legacy is all linked together. Th- take, those take, are probably just say, yeah. the two greatest players and pr- two greatest backs of the professional era in Scottish mm. rugby. And the third from just before the professional yeah, era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But Tooney's legacy as Scotland coach could be, in 18 months' time, two group exits at the World Cup, yep. three-fourths in the three third in the Six Nations. Yeah. And it's great. Regard, you know, the, yeah. the, the pie has gotten bigger, broadly because of what the SRU's doing with its international recruitment strategies rather than anything. <laughs> I think it was oh, international, glory. like, all oh, glory. I was like, no, not that. But, like, I mean, the yeah, player yeah. pool's got yeah, better. Yeah, yeah. It's, got deep, yeah. it's got deeper. But... Tooney could be staring down the barrel of a really bad... And he could be better, but do you know what I mean? No, I completely agree. And he could, at the end of his reign, have on his um, record book two World Cup group exits, but also the highest um, winning rate as a professional coach. Yeah. 
Which I can actually see him probably still having, because he's still got that. Yeah. And, but that would, who would care, right? Exactly. If you've gone out of two World Cups. I appreciate it's more difficult than I all think, World Cup pools. But. I think if he'd, if he'd had two exits in the groups, you look at this group coming up, is there actually disgrace for Scotland going out to Ireland and South Africa, who are two of the top three teams in the world at the moment? No. But if he had made markable progress with either, not necessarily a Six Nations Championship, but like a close second, or mm. like a, you know, still being in the tournament after two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like actual competitive progress as a group of, you know, Scottish rugby fans would have been like, you know what? That was a bad draw. Yeah. It was the worst possible draw we could have got, and that's what it is. But so I guess, mm. and I probably, I think we should be brought in. Is what I'm saying is that we should mediate yeah, yeah. these conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should so mediate like a Tooney Finn Hog like weekend session at like the Trump Turnberry, just <laughs> yeah. like hot tubs, beers, a couple of golf games, get it all sorted. But so let's start. I don't know, we're sort of... T- we're taking a long we're time We're now in 20 this. in here. This yeah, is, this, I know. The, the, I know. But our, our dinner reservation's let, in 20 minutes. Let's, <laughs> there is, there is let's, start, let's start from the assumption that you need Finn and Hogg to get through those group stages. Yeah. And Tooney's going to be the coach. Mm-hmm. It's like, fundamentally, what do we need to do between now and, let's say, Autumn Internationals? Do you think you just let it, let it settle? Is... So this on this relationship point. Yeah. I'm just I think, trying to I think, think maybe if is, you, is Richie as captain, does that help? Say, that could help. Well, I don't know. Because mm, yeah. I, I guess we don't know how those three personally interact. Yeah, it's an interesting Is Jamie one. Richie going to be able to get the best out of Finn? Maybe mm. that's not Richie's job. Maybe that's still got to sit with Townsend because Finn is Finn. Yeah, yeah. But And I suppose Townsend as well has obviously... I think we've talked about it before that clearly the issues that were raised when Finn first left camp were never sorted out despite their you they know, just made the, a pact yeah they, they made just, a pact well, in which but, case they just need to make another one <laughs> yeah exactly well, but let's not well, forget but, but then I think also like the fact that Townsend has clearly like eaten a big slice of humble pie and said to Finn here's vice captaincy by the way yeah yeah, and Finn has still fucked around like what do you do next take it away from him Take it away from Hog. Yeah. Pissed him off more. There's no carrot. He's given him carrot and stick. Uh, yeah. And he's still not incentivized. <laughs> you got to remember, Townsend and Hoggy haven't had a rosy relationship the whole time. No. The whole sort of 2014 dropping a, dropping Hoggy for the, I think it was the Pro what, Pro 14 semifinal, yeah. Pro 12 semifinal was... at the time. They've had clashes in the past. It just that shows. It just shows you can. Townsend yeah. would be annoyed at twenty twenty two Townsend. Be like, just fucking drop them. <laughs> I know. He's like, wait, that guy playing for Folk is the ten. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> just, but yeah, I just don't quite get that with like the Hog and Tooney kind of issues. Considering I see them as very similar. Yeah, people. yeah. But no. then maybe that's. I'm lumping all the borders people but into maybe, one thing. I don't know. Gala against Hoik. <laughs> just that's like maybe, maybe that does. you know blood runs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's just because we do have uh, dinner, a couple of other ones to throw in. Yeah, yeah. Really endearing ourselves to the S- listenership. Scotland defence. Got to crack on. But then we've sort of discussed it a little bit. 
I think. Are we still in the Matt Williams lounge? Yeah, we're in the Matt yeah, Williams yeah, lounge. Yeah. I'm putting the defence in the Matt Williams lounge yeah, because like, of how you, far it's dropped. So you're putting Steve Tandy in? Or is it this amorphous... Amorphous. I'm putting the amorphous like, Scottish defence system the, and um, execution. I think it's yeah. more than double the amount of points conceded versus 2020. Yeah. And then I think the first time we've gone to triple figures for a while across the whole tournament. Three tries against... Considering as Italy, who like couldn't play rugby prior to that point. Yeah, and I think some of it's contextual. Like ultimately, that France match, the the number of tries conceded was a little bit due to how they had to play. But at the same time, against Wales, I think there was moments of softness against Ireland. Ultimately, Ireland left points out there. Oh yeah, I'm only in third game. Big time. Yeah, and that's I think that's the saddest thing about it is their attack definitely wasn't firing. And Wales have been revealed as. A really quite rubbish team. Yeah, exactly. So it's. I think again, England. <laughs> so we, like, that England match again is the 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 one sort of high point where the defense was really good. Yeah, yeah. and they did a lot of defending in that match. Like, I mean, that, amounts, yeah. that that whole win was fully based on just sixty yeah, minutes yeah. of being able pressure. to hold the line. Um. Yeah, Scotland defense is in there. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the answer is. I think Tandy's too big to fail. Yes, um, for sure, and I don't. I think he's got a, he, he's got credit in the bank as well. Yeah, and 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 rightly so. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's if not number one on the agenda. Let's if if your summer tour agenda is or the going forward agenda is, we need to sort out this leadership issue, which is kind of what we've been talking about for the last ten minutes. That's number yeah. one. Defense, surely number two. Getting that back to a stage where you know you want to be limiting Argentina across these three tests. You want to see seriously marked improvement. Do you think when you think about that group stages of South Africa and Ireland, is defence a bigger priority than attack right now? I appreciate they're both incredibly important, right? But yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it is because I think, yeah, I think that sets the phone. We've got to at least we've got to st- we, in some way stop it. Parity, I guess. Yeah. In, yeah, in both of those games, big powerful packs, you've got to get parity up front, and you've got to stop them running up a scoreboard where we are chasing the game because then you have to sort of sacrifice one to chase the other. Yeah. So from word yeah. go, you need to be defending really, really well. Yeah. No. So in that, and then you've got to hope that you stifle them, they start chasing it a bit, and then gaps appear. Yeah. So yes, I would say defense is more important than attack, probably. I also think that defense is more easily solvable than the attack. Well, I guess... Particularly the fact that we've, particularly the mm. fact that in very recent memory we've had a very good defense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think all those players can and want to tackle. And yeah. a defensive system, I think, is easier to implement than an attacking style and approach. I guess. So then, thinking about that, and very briefly, what players do we think it's important to get game time this summer? Yeah. Yeah, that's a very good question. Well, that's, I guess, to, to rephrase it, is sort of like, what changes would you make to the team that ended the Six Nations to maybe one that you want to be seeing in the World Cup? And how do you get there? Red, red path. I just, I, honestly, we've joked about it a couple of times and it's becoming reality. I just think red path is, ne- is going to be one of those players. Is he our Tuolagi? Tuolagi. We just got to like, just you got to have another option. Great if he's there, yeah. but. He's had a cat, he's had too many, like, big injuries too many rebuilds of his like key limbs <laughs> who could f- fulfill a similar role that could be in that 
Blair Kinghorn. Blair Kinghorn at 12. <laughs> so what we're basically saying is we want a creative playmaker at 12, right? I think R- Rory think. Hutchison, but his defence, I still think... Too suspect. It's just too suspect. Yeah. I think James Lang isn't he's not, there. He's not in the same calibre. I really a like... a blunt instrument. I really like... It's probably a bit too early, but Matt Curry from Edinburgh. Yeah, he's a really good I think player. he'd be that kind of player, but... I think it's too early. He's next generation. He's he probably well, is. Interesting. If you go back to three years ago, I think everything was saying, you'd think Stafford McDowell would be yeah, the perfect option really at 12. Show. He played well at the weekend. And he did and, play and well. did all those things that you're like, right, he's pretty big, yeah. but he's got really good skills and he can boot it. Yeah. Loving the McDowell at 12 campaign. I don't know. If he could get a run going, it'd be interesting. But it'd be interesting to see how he coped in the Six Nations, maybe. Yeah. But I think in terms of players you need to have, I think you need to have Schumann. Yeah. I think you need to have a, a pre-Lion Xander Fagerson. Xander Fagerson's going to have about 75 caps by the time he gets to the World Cup. Yeah. And, but I think if he... So, if, so experienced. So durable as well. If he plays yeah. to his highest level, then I think he can... And you would hope he can li- mix it with those guys. You'd hope a little bit of age sort of softens the edges on his penalty count and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I think Cummings. Cummings and Gray's got to be the Cummings and Gray, but then maybe someone like I don't know, like a Glenn Young comes in. Glenn Young is absolutely massive. Glenn Young. I know I it's just, early, but culturally, he just looks like the antithesis of um, Gray as well because he's got like tattoos and shit and like a shaved head, and they're great. <laughs> soft and cuddly yeah. whereas Glenn Lund's just like evil I think, the, evil I think yeah I think the back row kind of picks itself do you, what do you think about Cummings and Skinner have they got the potential to just step up that little bit more maybe versus Johnny Gray and Gilchrist potentially I can kind of see Skinner as like a he's going to end up like a bench option he falls yeah. in that category you know, just too versatile always do a good job but maybe doesn't have that like maybe not punch. quite big enough exactly yeah but I think, I think Cummings has got to be a starter if he comes back to that form. Yes. I think in the, in the back line, like, you've got to have Price, Russell, Hogg, Duhan, Graham, Probably. all firing yeah. to, to have a chance. So the midfield yeah. is a big question mark. And it asks big tactical questions because if you take Harris out of that, you need to either find a defensive leader of his yeah. calibre. yeah. Or you're sort of slightly changing the the balance of that midfield. I think the days of like a Hugh Jones at 13 are probably gone. Do you think it's more likely that Bennett is the one who potentially could take over from Harris? Yeah, I, I get that sense. Yeah. No, I agree. Dingwall. I think it kind of like... Dingwall. Dingwall. Well, Dingwall. Finn Smith. Hutchison. <laughs> Fraser Dingwall. Dingwall's good dingwell is good and he's consistently gonna, good surely the there's got to come a time when he's like i'm not going to get picked for england yeah he's not he doesn't and if he doesn't want, trouble a squad which and if, if i he's, want to go to a world yeah. cup which is no come on home yeah yeah i th- I, th- I don't think finn smith's doing anything pre this world cup he's just gonna i also keep... don't think he's that good personally all right all right <laughs> well, we've got a lot of social like, media hype that he's like 20 and starting for a premiership team <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, do, but I think I, ultimately this conversation reveals that like there's not that much choice. We basically need all the players who are still in the current squad to be playing really well. It's it's yeah. kind of interesting that the next cabs off the rank are probably just not there yet. And that yeah. might change in 18 months. You never know. But it's not like there's a real second layer that are properly busting through. They're yeah. just 
I mean, that's a perennial problem in Scottish rugby, right? But yeah, of course. And it's always going to be a problem. But I do uh, think... I'm going to order an Uber, by the way. So oh, Okay, right. All right so that's the, really setting the <laughs> yeah. timer on the end of this um, <laughs> podcast. I think that's absolutely fine. It is only 10 minutes away, so... That's fine. Um, I'm looking at my extremely extensive notes. Hog out, question mark, covered. Toonie out, question mark, covered. <laughs> Summer tour squad? Kind of covered. We've kind of covered that. Um... And then I, had I think in the summer tour squad you could take like a, a Matt Curry. Well, maybe that's or you the, could you could give Delacorte a white start. It does sound like they're going to be doing a match against Chile. Chile, which is an absolute, so we could get caps <laughs> as an absolute yeah. free for all for. It's a little bit of a come get. It's like a reverse come get me plea for like people with Scottish grannies that are looking to get mm. in, in the mix for a, um, Scott, a rugby world cup. That Henry Arundel guy. The England under twenties again. He's just like I've got to at least wait out one he's, cycle. I would like him to be very badly advised because at the moment the bad advice is to to take Scotland. <laughs> yeah, because he's absolutely carved like, up. Do you want an international cap tw- now or in five years' time? Yeah, but look, bird in the hands worth two in the bush. Look, exactly, you've, exactly. Got to, you've got to take it, Henry. Exactly. If you're listening, look. Yeah, I'll invest that money for you in five years' time. He, it'll is be Henry fine. Arundel the heir to Hog? Question. Question. Idea of Henry Aaron <laughs> full power for Scotland. People will be like, well, who is I think this he's got a Scottish mum though. Yeah, no, like, does, I think he, he is does. like properly yeah. 50-50 rather than It's gonna be ten years' time, it's gonna be Oliver Arundel captain with Ollie Leather Barrel, vice <laughs> leather, captain. Yeah, leather Barrows, yeah. <laughs> and like, Munkasser at eight. Yeah. We'll have some and good Jed, names. Jed Gelderbloom. Gelderbloom, <laughs> yeah. I love, yeah. love Jed Gelderbloom. <laughs> yeah. Such a Get good Get him name. in. Yeah. It's all we've got. We've just got like funny stuff as our fallback. <laughs> we are I mean, unfortunately. This is our lot in the rugby life. We are a banter nation. Like, we're right on the cusp of being good, but we're always going to be plagued by this. That's true. I think this Six Nations, we have come off as a laughing stock. <laughs> no, I actually think we have. We need to get, we need to get some food in you. Yeah, <laughs> Let's but I, I think we have. Like, I think it's all the sort of, like, pre-held views of, like, Ireland has come yeah. true. Like, we're a bit soft. I and then we're, like, not professional. Our Irish troll has felt so bad for us. She stopped yeah. trolling us. <laughs> she hasn't even tried to set up another, another profile. It's true. After three profiles of I was trolling. thinking about that the yeah. other day, actually. Well, um, if you're out there, Madge, come back. We miss you. Yeah, it made, made life interesting, at least. <laughs> right. I think we are probably reaching the end of, uh, end of, our, sort of um, our time on the pod today. It's an hour and 35 minutes. I, I genuinely think we probably could have done three hours sort of picking over the carcass. I think it's probably our longest pod ever, actually. I think it might be. It could well be. So yeah. for the handful of you that have stayed throughout, thank you. Um, thank you very much for, for staying with us. We will be back. Will we be back next week? Yes, we will. Yeah. Um, obviously ahead of um, big weekends in the URC. Um, I think Glasgow Zebra, um, the last Glasgow home game of the season, actually, until so- the playoffs, if they get into the playoffs, of course. So plenty to look forward to there. But keep in touch with us on Twitter at Thistle Rugby Pod, on Instagram, Thistle underscore Rugby underscore Pod, um, and sign up to the newsletter that will be going out Monday morning um, on Substack, Thistle Scottish Rugby Podcast. But we will be back. Cheers. Bye. See ya. See ya. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.